Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Lexus Enthusiast podcast. My name is Kevin Watts, and I'm the founder and editor of the Lexus Enthusiast website. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Super GT racing driver, James Rossiter. Welcome, James. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Doing well. So James is in Monaco right now, and we're just going to talk a little bit about Super GT and racing in general. So just as an explanation for anyone unfamiliar with Super GT, this is a Japanese racing series. And it happens over eight rounds from April to November. There are two classes. There's a GT300 for GT3 spec race cars. And then there's the top class, which is the GT500 class. Uh, This features multiple teams from Lexus, Honda, and Nissan. I'm just going to turn it over to the expert here. James, could you give us an overview of the GT500 race cars? Well, the GT500 race cars are quite, uh, quite unique. We have a full carbon fiber monocoque. Actually, the GT500 class was called that because it was around 500 horsepower, but now we have quite a bit more than that. Now we're, we're above 600. Yeah, we have a lot of aerodynamics on the car and a very stiff carbon fiber chassis and a great engine. The racing is, is really incredible with the GT500 cars, and uh, we're lucky to be racing the fastest GT cars in the world. Now, I understand there's limits to what a team can change in one of these cars. What kind of modifications are allowed? Well, you have the car homologated at the beginning of the season, and then there's one development allowed during the year. Then uh, the following year, you can do a further development with the aerodynamic package. The engine we're allowed to do, uh, I think it's one or two updates during the year. So that's really up to to the guys at at Lexus, and they're always working really hard, especially on the the aerodynamic side, to, to try to optimize everything. We have two aerodynamic packages, a high downforce one and uh, a low downforce one. The low downforce is only really used at, at Fuji Speedway where we have this, this huge start-finish straight uh, where we reach speeds of well over 300 kilometers an hour. Yeah, I, I was on Fuji and um, I don't think I hit anything quite that high. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back to uh, Super GT, but first I, I have to ask, how did you become a, a professional racer? I know you started with karting, but how did you originally discover your talent? I think it really was put into my blood from a very young age. I mean, my father was, uh, was a racing driver and uh, running SPAC suspension, making dampers. And the first few weeks of my life was spent going to actually world sports car races that he was racing in. So I was born end of August, my birthday. So then it was towards the end of the season. So I went to see the last few races of the season, I guess, at a very, very young age. I had a motorbike and a, and a quad bike when I was very young. And I just was driving around a field and really had a passion for driving that was more than anything and then uh, I was lucky enough to start racing in go-kart with my father as my mechanic when I was 12 or 13 so I started winning quite quickly which was very nice and it's just I don't know things kind of went one step at a time and then uh, the real challenge was I guess getting into single seaters the biggest step is getting from the, the go-kart into single seaters and we had to go and raise some sponsorship budget this was quite a difficult task, but we managed to scrape together the money to, to go with a, a team in, in Formula Renault in the UK. And uh, at the time, there were 36 drivers in the championship, uh, including Lewis Hamilton and Jamie Green and uh, many other drivers who have gone on to have very successful careers. So it was a good, a good proving ground. And um, quite quickly, we, we went from, from Formula Renault to Formula 3. Uh, and then I was very lucky that in, the hat, in the fact that I got a phone call from BAR. Formula One team, British American Racing, and I got asked to come in and meet them and have an evaluation 
And I think it was one month later, I was given my first test in the Formula One car at uh, Jerez, age 21. And that went very well, <laughs> luckily. And uh, they signed me on a contract there and then, um, on quite a long-term one. And uh, and I spent the next sort of five years as a Formula One test driver. So that's how I took the step really to becoming a, a professional racing driver from uh, from someone who was racing go-kart. So I was quite lucky, I think. Uh, it was at a time where... The Formula One team still had quite a lot of budget. I think now that that time has changed. And, uh, from there, seeing where it would be the best thing to race, and uh, and luckily I found myself in what I consider the best uh, two racing series around the moment in uh, in Super GT and Super Formula in Japan. Is it a gradual progression to that level, or is there a massive learning curve each time you go up in a level? Uh, there is a massive learning curve. I mean, there's certain things that stay the same. I mean, one of the biggest step from going from Formula 3 say to, to Formula 1 was the technical aspect of the car. Uh, I spent a lot of time during my first year in Formula 1 as a test driver having lessons uh, with the engineering staff there and trying to really understand everything that goes on with the car on a mechanical side, on an electronic side, uh, from tyre development because we had the tyre war in Formula 1 back then and this put me in a very good good position for, for right now where we have the tyre war in Super GT and it's that experience that's really helping me from 10 years ago to, to now to develop the tyre that we're, we're currently using with Bridgestone for, for the Super GT car. So it's very, very challenging and uh, there are many steps along the way and one thing as a racing driver is you never stop learning. There's always something new to learn, there's always something different you can try and uh, and as, as long as you understand that, I think you'll always be at the top of your game. So I understand that you became a, a test driver in Formula One. What are the responsibilities of, of being a test driver? Well, back then, uh, we would I was driving the car, say, uh, two or three days every week or every two weeks. And we were put, constantly putting updates on the car. I mean, Formula One is something that's constantly evolving. The car that you get in at the beginning of the year is nothing like the car that you get out of at the final race. And it's really, it was up to the, the test driver to give the feedback to the engineers to, to tell them which way we needed to go with the development, which areas of the car needed improving. I would work closely at the time with Jensen Button and, uh, and Rubens Barrichello to really find out what they needed from the car. And then I would try to, to help find that direction from the new parts that I was testing and, uh, and the new tires that I was working on at the time with Michelin. And uh, you do have quite a lot of responsibilities. You really become an integrated part of the, the team and, uh, and the car. I mean, you're the, the only channel of communication, really, that, that they have to be able to talk to the car. Uh, of course, they have the data to analyze things, but it's much faster if, uh, if the test driver can give them the accurate feedback and they can trust that driver to, to show them the right direction. How do you uh, hone yourself in a way to be able to detect the information that you need to communicate to the engineers? That's something I think I was quite lucky with. I seem to be able to feel what's going on with the car relatively easy. <laughs> and uh, it's something that I think my father really pushed me to, to understand when I was a, a kid, even on quad bikes and motorbikes. He was always asking me uh, what, what it felt like, what things I could feel, what was happening. And I think that I just developed a, a lucky sixth sense, I guess, in terms of uh, what's going on. I find it quite easy to communicate to the engineer what's going on with the car and, uh, and what I'm feeling and um, what if we change certain aspects of the car, what direction we need to go in. So really, I think I was quite lucky with that. 
Yeah, it seems like yeah, an unusual skill. I, I've driven a lot of cars, but I could never tell you anything about them in terms of you know <laughs> fixing the uh, the drive or or tweaking the drive. I've always been quite amazed with that. Well, I have a, a huge passion for the engineering side as well, so I think that that really helps. I mean, it's something that uh, I have a an AVCE qualification in uh, in engineering from schools. It was a side that I was very passionate about as well, as well as just the driving. You were also a part of a Lotus team that competed in the 2011 24 Hours of Le Mans race. Uh, what was that experience like? Participating in that race must be an experience really like no other. Yeah, it was really an incredible experience. Um, it was my first ever time going to Le Mans um, as a driver or a spectator. So it was, it was an amazing experience to see so many fans that were just so passionate for, for that one race. Um, and hundreds of thousands of them. The the whole experience from the build up from the test all the way through to the the parade. You know, the week before it was quite a unique thing where all the drivers are paraded through the town of Le Mans to see all the fans there and to sign everything. It was really, really incredible. But the amazing thing actually for me that year was was the race. The car had been uh, had had a few problems in uh, in testing and in the two races that we did prior to, to Le Mans. Uh, we had never really made it more than, uh, I think, just over an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> continuously without having a problem with the car. And, uh, and we managed to finish the race, and yet do, it was, was an incredible thing to finish the 24 hours of Le Mans at your first attempt. And especially with that project, it was, uh, it was a great achievement from everyone involved and really an amazing experience that, that I'll remember forever. You must have really been throughout the whole experience just waiting for something to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny, we went, it went uh, step by step, you know. We were like, okay, let's see if we can make it to sundown. And then when we made it to sundown, we were like, okay, let's see if we can make it past midnight. We made it past midnight. And we were like, man, I wonder if we can make it to sunrise. And, uh, and I did think from, uh, I think, around 3 in the morning till 7 in the morning. I did nearly four hours. And uh, that was that was an amazing thing to to ha go through the transition from uh, from being in the middle of the night to going through the sun coming up to seeing you could see people at the side of the track even when you were driving sat there in their chairs asleep with their cans of beer with the the barbecue next to them you could see all this around the track all the way around it was uh, amazing thing to to see as the sun came up and uh, yeah then we made it to sunrise and. We made it past midday, and then uh, then it was really a bit nerve-wracking, thinking we've got this far, let's we better make it to the end now. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was amazing. In 2013, you started in Super GT, and you and with the with the Patronus Tom's uh, team had immediate success when you finished third overall for the season. How were you able to acclimatize so fast? Uh, well, actually, I had a lot of help uh, no, from my teammate. I, I was very lucky in the fact that when I joined Super GT, I jumped straight into Tom's car, which was obviously a very competitive car, and I had such a great teammate as Kazuki Nakajima. Kazuki really helped me adapt quickly because he knew that, that were, he had already done a, a couple of years in the championship. He had had Andre Lotter as his teammate the first year, and then Loic Duval the second year, and then it was me coming along for the third year. So he had learned a huge amount from those two. Obviously, they both won the championship in Super GT in the past. And Kazuki knew that if he helped me, then the two of us would get up to speed much faster. So I had to give a lot of credit to him, really. Yeah, our second ever race, we got pole, fastest lap and win at Fuji's. 
yeah, we got off to a very good start that year, and uh, yeah, it was a bit unlucky not to to win the championship, but like you said, a great achievement to to win two races in the championship in the first year was was a really nice way to start my Super GT career. And then in 2014, the Lexus team switched from the uh, SC430 to the RCF race car. It couldn't have been too difficult a transition uh, because you did finish third overall again in the season rankings. But could you outline the changes between those two cars? Yeah, it was actually the huge changes. Um, the SC430 had a massive amount of mechanical grip, slightly wider tires, and a totally different engine. Just a normally aspirated engine with a lot of torque and uh, and good, very smooth power delivery. Then when we went to the RCF, the, with the new regulation change, we had skinnier tires, so slightly less mechanical grip, but much better aerodynamics, uh, better downforce, or more downforce. So the adaptation was, it was maybe even easier for me because I come from high downforce cars. Uh, and it was quite a bit different, especially on the engine with the power delivery, because we have uh, now the turbocharged uh, two-liter engine. So the getting on top of the power delivery and, and really trying to sort all the issues out with the car made the first year hugely challenging. It was only really mid-season that, that we started coming really strong and we won two races back-to-back, uh, the Suzuka 1,000km and then the Thailand round in, in Buriam, and that put me in a position where I was leading the championship going to the final race. And yeah, a bit unlucky in the, in the final race after we had contact with the Nissan car on the first lap. But again, another strong year. So yeah, it adds to the experience, I guess. I'm curious about that. So what's it like when either something mechanical goes wrong or there's some contact and you're unable to finish a race? Are you able to just put that out of your mind or does it stick with you? Well, it's, you have to, it's, it's a difficult one because it really does stick with you for especially the, the sort of the next 24 to 48 hours afterwards. You, you're constantly going in your head, going through everything. Could you have done something different? What ifs? What could you do different next time? I think the biggest thing is actually to learn from every situation. So you have to ask yourself these questions and you have to ask yourself, what, what if I did something different? How would that have affected it? And that's really how, how you learn. But it does stay with you and it is incredibly painful, um, especially when you, you know, you're, you're fighting for a championship or, I mean, it took me a good, a good four months to get over what happened, to be perfectly honest, at the end of last year, uh, losing the championship in the final round due to someone else's problem, you know, nothing I did to this person drove into the back of me and, uh, and tried to essentially take me out of the race. And that was incredibly hard to deal with, especially over the winter and knowing that you worked so, so hard for, for something in, in your career and everyone in the team sacrificed so much and you've already done the whole season, you know, it's just the final race and then to lose it in that way is uh, is quite difficult. But then you can also look at it, you can look at it slightly differently and you can look back over the whole year and then you start to realize what other things could have you could have done better and you could have scored more points earlier on in the year and certain other situations. I think that's what makes you much more complete and much more ready to, to win the championship in the end will be how well you can, can deal with those, those situations and how you can bounce back from them is, is really a key thing to being a driver who can be strong over a whole year. Yes, it does actually seem like, uh, like any sport, I would imagine. It's, it's a matter of continuing and thinking about progress and you know, making improvements always. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's not just on my side, you know, it's, it's everyone. There's, there's so many people behind the scenes at Lexus who, and Tom's who work so hard to, to get us there from Bridgestone with the tires, the guys at, at TRD who are doing the engine, the guys on the aero side for the chassis, my mechanics who are looking after the car. You know, it's, it's everyone. I'm just a, a very small part and I'm the very lucky one that gets to, to race the thing in front of everyone and, and to be able to stand on the podiums. But when I'm there, it's to represent everyone's effort. So your next race in Super GT is at Fuji Speedway. And as you've said, you've had some strong success there over the past uh, three seasons. How are you feeling about this current season? Well, this current season, uh, we, we, we were quite unlucky in, uh, in the first round where we had uh, uh, an engine issue and we had to retire. Uh, then in, uh, in round two, we were, we were really strong at Fuji, but two of the Nissans were stronger. So uh, we were the best Lexus and, and it was nice to be on the podium at Fuji in third place. Thailand, we were very, very strong in qualifying and just missed out on pole position. And uh, we decided to go for an alternate strategy to try to go for the victory, which we felt was the right way to go. Uh, turned out not to be, as uh, we tried to go for the race without uh, tire change. Kazuki and I did it last year, and that's how we won the race. So we went for it again this year. But uh, unfortunately, the, the tire life wasn't quite as good this year as, as last year. And uh, we ended up dropping back in the second stint from, from second to eighth. So it's, it's been a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, we're, we've shown great speed at, at each event. For me, that's the key thing, really. We've, we've had a lot of speed. We're just going to get everything together now and keep pushing. And uh, I think for the next race in Fuji, we're going to be really, really strong. Um, and going forward for the rest of the year, we're, we're going to be there. And then hopefully coming into the final round, we're going to be in the, with a shot to win the championship again. Yeah, there's still a lot of racing left. Yeah, very long way. And in, in Super GT with the success ballast, you know, if you if you miss out on a result, you just have to make sure you capitalize on the next race because the guys that get the success in that round, they have the extra ballast, like uh, the extra kilos that they have to carry for the following race. So you have an opportunity to to come back in this championship, and that's something that that I think is really nice, and uh, it gives all the manufacturers and all the drivers a really good shot to to put together a good season, even if you have one bad race. With racing at this high level, it's not unusual for there to be a month between races. What happens during these breaks, and how do you keep your focus? Sometimes, actually, uh, I find I need the breaks. Um, for example, the beginning of this year, racing in Super GT and Super Formula, we were really, really busy. We had a lot of testing, a lot of races, sort of every week in the car. And when you're not in the car, you're, you're, you're training, you're working on your fitness. It does take its toll on you, and sometimes you need you need a couple of weeks to just hit the reset button and go away, do some training with some friends, and uh, and come back with a fresh mind and uh, and an open mind to renew your not not your enthusiasm, just to just to have a reset really, and uh, and come back with that extra spirit and that extra fight for the next race. It it is sometimes too long between rounds, but it's the same for everyone. And if you can deal with it better than the other people, then it's even better for me. <laughs> it gives you a competitive advantage, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Lexus production models. I've seen your uh, Gentleman Driver series with uh, Lexus International with the RCF. And there's been a, a lot of criticism about the weight of the RCF. Uh, what's your personal opinion about the car? 
my personal opinion, it for me, I really, really enjoy driving that that car. I've I've driven it around in Japan quite a lot, and uh, and also I've driven one here in uh, in the south of France in Monaco. Maybe it's heavier than some of the competitors, but but I think on certain other aspects it makes up for it. It's a very very comfortable car as well as being sporty, and that's something that I like. It's one that it's sporty that you can drive every day. You really enjoy driving this car. It's, well, I do anyway. I don't know if other people uh, who have driven it enjoy it as much as me, but certainly from my side, I really enjoy it. Yeah, the the Gentleman Driver project was something that was really good fun with Lexus International, where where we took the car, we drove down to Fuji Speedway for the Super GT test, and we went through some really cool roads. You know, we drove through from Tokyo down to Hakone, and uh, and through the mountains and around all these nice uh, flowing but quite technically difficult roads to drive. And there you really test the cars. Uh, have you driven the production model on the track? I have not driven one on the track. So that's something that uh, I know Ryo Hirokawa, uh, one of my teammates at Tom's, he's done uh, done some work for for Tom's. Unfortunately, I couldn't come down to do it. Fuji Speedway, where we have a, a Tom's body kit for the coming out or I think it's, maybe it's out now for the, for the RCS. And Rio did some work on that. Uh, which was really cool. That that's, adds an extra edge to the, the RCS. And yeah, I know that, uh, that he really enjoyed taking on the track at Fuji Speedway. Hopefully I'll get a chance to do that sometime soon. That's a good-looking kit from Tom's. I like it quite a bit. Yeah, they they do some cool kits, and uh, yeah, the, the, that's a really nice one, I have to say. What do you think about the LFA? Uh, now, that's that's a unique car. That's uh, that's a special one, I think. Uh, I think all motoring enthusiasts realize how special that car is and um, and where that sits really in the in the hierarchy of supercars and 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 it shows really what Lexus can do. So how does that how does that car rank with you? I know uh, Jeremy Clarkson said it was it was his favorite car that he's ever driven. You don't have to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious about how how it compares to other cars that you've driven. It's truly truly a, an incredible car, and it's it's just raw, and you have this huge engagement between yourself and the car and the road and and the engine and everything. And uh, I think that's it. It's the integration of yourself into the car is is really great. It's just huge amounts of fun, and you you anybody who gets in that car will get out with a huge smile on their face and some memories that they're not going to forget. And I think that that's something that makes that car very very unique. I, I definitely agree. It's definitely about the experience and about, I don't want to say the memories that you have after you've driven it, but that sort of thing, it's an experience unlike anything else. Well, personally for me. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it does give you, it will give you memories. I mean, that's the thing. If, if, if you drive that car, you're going to remember you drove it. And I think uh, anyone who's driven it, you can ask them and they will remember absolutely everything about driving it. And that's quite unique about a car in, in this day and age. I just want to circle back. I should have asked you this question earlier, but is there any similarities between the RCF, the GT500 race car, and the production model RCF? There are some some similarities. Unfortunately, there's not as many as you'd really like because it's, the RCF to the GT is, is a carbon fiber monocoque, and obviously it's it's a lot lighter and it's a it's a pure race car. But uh, but yeah, there are some similarities in the car, definitely. So to wrap up, I have uh, five reader questions to ask you. Okay. So uh, Corrado MR2 asks, have you been asked for any input on the development or fine-tuning of current or future Lexus production vehicles? I haven't been directly asked. I have, I have actually 
asked myself to for me to be involved in some future road car projects. It's something that uh, now I'm getting a bit older, I'm getting uh, a lot more passion for. It's something that I'd really look forward to doing in the future, definitely. I think to to be able to say that you had some input into a road car, especially uh, a Lexus, and especially if we can, uh, if I can work on a, an F model to really show what Lexus can do and put my inputs into that, I think would be a really exciting project and, and something that hopefully I'll have some time to do in the next couple of years. Yeah, it definitely seems like something that you could hang your hat on in terms of... Yes, exactly. Uh, this one's from Lexus Tech SA. Have you had a chance to drive the RCF GT3 car? I have not. I, I do know the engineers who are working on the project, and I have several times been into the garage uh, during the, the pre-season testing and, uh, this year and, and really gone there to see them. And uh, my teammate, Daisuke Ito, he's, he's driven the car, um, and I, I've been to see him when he drove the car. So I know quite a lot about it. Yeah, it's, uh, this is an exciting project. I think once, once they, they get the, the balance of performance right for, for GT3 racing, for that, that car to, to come over and race in Europe is going to be uh, something quite exciting. Yeah, it looks like it's going to race for the first time, I think, next week. Yeah, it's coming on quick, this, uh, this new program. Yeah, it's coming along. I mean, it's, it's a very big challenge. It's not to be underestimated, GT3, because, you know, the manufacturers that are involved in Europe are really putting a lot of time and, and money and, and just engineering resources into their GT3 cars because it's become so competitive now, GT3, throughout the world, really, that, that to be at the top, you have to, to really get everything right. And with this project, it's still quite fresh, quite new. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see, see how far they can take it. Lassie from Norway wants to know, uh, if you were put in charge of developing a new Lexus model entirely to your own tastes, what kind of car would that be? <laughs> what a question. Um, where to start? Um, <laughs> I think I would like to do, do something to, to really follow on from, from the LFA and try and, try and really make a really high-end uh, supercar. I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, I think there's there's a market for and I think it's something that, that probably my skill set would be best used for. I think to to do that, to really work on suspension geometry, on uh on damping, on road handling and uh and then on the engine side and try and give a a race feel, you know, to a really, really quick supercar. Um that's something that I'd really love to do. Well, uh, they say that there's going to be a supercar for every generation. So I think you'd probably be able to get in there and, 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 and start working on it. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to hold you to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Perfect. I look forward to it. <laughs> Brooks2IS wants to know, uh, do you have a Lexus as a daily driver? Do I? Uh, yes, I'm very lucky. In that I, get, I get to use the RCF, actually, here in, uh, in Monaco. <laughs> So I am driving around in uh, in a Lexus RCF. <laughs> it's not a bad gig. <laughs> no, it's not bad. I'm not going to complain at all. I'm I'm very very lucky on that side. And then uh, the final uh, reader question: uh, Trexus asks, "You have a choice, M4 or RCF?" Well, of course, an RCF. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult question. I know. It's, uh, easy, easy answer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's exactly what I thought. James, thank you so much for uh, taking the time for this interview. Uh, best of luck with the rest of the Super GT season. Great. Thank you very much as well, and uh, hope everyone enjoys, uh, enjoys listening. Of course. Thank you very much. Take care.